0: I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 165 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we celebrate the birth of Thomas Cruise the IV. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And also, George Sanders apparently was born on this day, too. <laughs> and patrick wilson and i think some other people but i mean well probably lots of other people but not anyone else that i can think of right now but anyway uh we are you're not even listening to this on july 3rd but we're recording it on july 3rd so you know we had to mention those those wonderful wonderful humans Uh, anyway (laughs) i am karen peterson joined as always by the also wonderful lauren effries
1: brooks (laughs) hello how are you lauren i'm tired uh but i'm good it has been oh god it's been a week it's been a week in like every possible conception of it being a week
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it, it's been yeah <laughs> i yeah. went back to uh back to working in person this week oh, wow. and i was surprisingly excited about it I didn't expect to look forward to it as much as I did, but by Monday night, I was like, yay, it felt a little bit like the first day of school, you know, I was like, this is going to be fun. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was fine. It wasn't like anything amazing or exciting, but it was a little bit nice to kind of ease back in. Cause we were also weren't super busy. We haven't like broadcast to the world that we're open in person, but, uh, yeah. So it felt a little bit like things are, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel,
1: but then yeah. of course
0: then the news had to happen so you know <laughs> there was that too you <laughs> know uh, all we can do is sigh
1: yeah i think all we can do is sigh i mean i i said earlier i think that most people who are listening to this probably know <laughs> what we're talking about um yeah like i said earlier i don't want to have long conversations about this particular person this this is it you know i understand what happened it makes me so mad and um as i i think that it makes pretty much everybody one of the things that i i will say for at least my twitter feed and my facebook feed and most of the most of like everyone that i've spoken to everyone is angry yeah right i have seen very little other than the like people dunking on people who have been like oh it's not that bad or oh he's innocent or whatever most of the people have just been like what the fuck
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: so yeah. which makes me feel better about humanity generally you know that doesn't change anything but it's still like okay people people generally are okay you
0: know yeah yeah it's been a relief to to not see a lot of people going like oh good justice has finally served the right way only you know like one prominent person said that and that was frightening but um yeah
1: which isn't surprising i mean she's been pretty like supportive yeah. of him
0: um yeah it just it was disappointing because of the role that she has now you know and it yeah it made me think of a certain scene in uh promising young woman actually (laughs) uh but um anyway we don't need to go down that road one of the things that did frustrate me a little bit was seeing people complain that like oh well see this is all the prosecutor's fault this never should have happened in the first place blah 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 it's like "Mm, i'm kind of gonna blame the judge (laughs) who you know didn't stop it so whatever yeah
1: there there was a lot of mismanagement and you know a lot of people have talked about the fact that well rich rich people do get away with shit and and you know what i'm i'm glad what he's been in prison for six years something like that i think three three
0: his sentence was three to ten so he he actually did do the minimum
1: i mean that's that's something so i'm glad that he's been in prison i hope that he suffered a great deal um mm-hmm. you know I I honest that's honestly the way that I that the way that I feel I'm like this is no there is no like middle ground for me just like I hope that you're suffering like seriously yeah. um uh one of my favorite lines from Mark of Zorro is may God reward him according to his merits and I mm-hmm. think that that's a really great curse because it's not wishing ill on anyone it's just saying I hope that you're rewarded according to the merits that you have shown
0: yep Yep, i love it it's so perfect
1: um so yeah but of course i think i think we should mention that the whole point here is that we should be supporting the victims and supporting the people who were very brave and it doesn't this doesn't mean that what they did was meaningless um this is not like well we might as well just never talk about this we might as well never try to hold anyone to account no it's important what they did and it's important to them as well to Mm -hmm. being able to actually you know a lot of a lot of people didn't come forward because they said they wouldn't be believed they were believed these people were believed these women were believed um the fact that this this asshole got off on a technicality is something that is horrible but that doesn't mean that what they did was not brave or that that you know the rest of the culture was like oh it just doesn't matter it's like obviously it did
0: in this case it did yes absolutely and and it's starting to more and more but i do think too that um people need to remember like we need to stop asking the question why didn't she say anything why didn't that come up why didn't they report it because these are these are some of the reasons why like in this particular case sure they they are believed they are, you know their stories were told they were able to be heard um and unfortunately we didn't get the outcome that should have happened but there are a lot of cases i mean look at christine blasey ford you know there are a lot of cases where women do speak up their lives are ruined and nothing comes of it yeah and whether you believe them or not like it it, it's it's such a huge risk for them to take and so we need to not judge people for not being willing uh, to come forward
1: absolutely i just think that it's worth it to note that in this case and in a number of these cases so far that these women have been believed and that one of the reasons why they hadn't come forward some of them had said one of the reasons why they didn't come forward to begin with was because they thought they wouldn't be Yeah, they they thought that he's too powerful like no one's going to pay attention to anything that i have to say and so i do i do think that there's a shift that has happened in the culture and this is one of those things that i've said this before this is not going to happen overnight this is not going to happen within the next five years this might not happen within the next 10 years but there is a shift that is happening and that this is being taken more seriously and again even though this has not played out the way that we wanted to, and I still think that something else is going to happen, to be totally honest. But, <laughs> um, but even though this has not played out the way that we wanted to, it it is still a testament, I think, to these women's bravery, to them actually trying to do something, and to the public and a lot of people listening to them. That's happened, yeah. right? And that yeah. wouldn't have happened. 20, 30, 40 years ago, no one would have listened to begin with. It wouldn't have even been a question.
0: Maybe not even 10 years ago, to be honest. So, yeah, I mean, things have changed so much in the last five years that we, we are starting to see that. And, and like you say, I mean, these, these shifts take time this is a generational shift. Like it's going to be the next generation of kids are the ones that are going to actually see not no tolerance for this kind of stuff like they're gonna see where women anybody anybody who's a victim can come forward and say hey this happened to me and they will be believed as the default yeah we're not there yet but we're getting there
1: we're getting there definitely um yeah and i have to say men this is a you problem like Mm -hmm. this this is very much a problem with you not with us yep um so much of this is yeah i said this on twitter so much of this is framed as like violence against women it's like okay well who is committing the violence because that's the issue the issue is not that violence is being committed the issue is who is committing it and the majority not not all obviously but the majority of the violence against women is being committed by men and cisgendered men um and that's so this is a problem that you guys have to solve we cannot solve it for you so if you are like well i'm an ally well i would never do this like okay then hold your bros to account hold Mm -hmm. other people to account and that also means not laughing at rape jokes that means saying like hey dude that's not cool that means not you know making jokes about roofies um there there's a whole spectrum of what we refer to as rape culture and it's something that you have to fix we can't fix it for you
0: And stop telling us rape culture isn't a thing.
1: Yeah, it quite obviously is. I mean, if you need more proof, then I I don't know where you've been for the last five years.
0: Exactly. Yep. Uh, Yeah, just just do better. Believe women. Act when you hear women have had things happen and hold people to account. That's what you need to do. So uh, on another note of just men suck <laughs>
1: <laughs> we always open the episode with so what did men do that sucked this week <laughs> yeah i
0: mean this week in garbage people
1: so, uh yeah
0: um so, another name i don't really want to say so i'm just gonna say shannon lee is awesome and i love her and i am so glad that she is here to defend her father's legacy against people who want to tarnish it and try to claim that he was someone that he was not <laughs> and uh yeah so there was there's like a book out right now that's the novelization of a movie that was nominated for some oscars a couple years ago and uh won a couple or, yeah and um there was a depiction of bruce lee in that movie and you all know what i'm talking about but i just don't want to say it so i'm not gonna anyway um shannon lee addressed this week um some statements about how bruce lee was arrogant he picked Mm -hmm. fights with american stuntmen hello he was born in san francisco he was also an american stuntman um and uh anyway she just i i really oh sorry
1: I was gonna say that's so indicative in itself, isn't mm-hmm. it? To be like, oh, he picked fights with American stuntmen. It's just like, so he was American. Um, yeah. What do you mean by American in this context, then, dude? Who is exactly? Supposed, who is supposed to know a great deal about film? Mm-hmm. You know, when you're saying American stuntmen, so you're not actually, so you're not referring to Bruce Lee. All right, so you're refer, are you referring to to white men? Because that sounds like that's who you're referring to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly um so one of the things that shannon lee said that i just i mean this whole statement she so basically what happened was the hollywood reporter emailed her and said hey do you have any comments on what was said and she's like oh i sure do and she basically sent back an article like she wrote a whole thing um And one of the things that that she wrote in here was, I'm tired of hearing from white men in Hollywood that he was arrogant and an asshole when they have no idea and cannot fathom what it might have taken to get work in 1960s and 70s Hollywood as a Chinese man with, God forbid, an accent or to try to express an opinion on a set as a perceived foreigner and person of color. I'm tired of hearing white men in Holly. I'm tired of white men in Hollywood mistaking his confidence, passion and skill for hubris and therefore finding it necessary to marginalize him and his contributions. I'm tired of white men in Hollywood finding it too challenging to believe that Bruce Lee might have really been good at what he did and maybe even knew how to do it better than them. Damn right. Yep and i mean mean, she goes on there's a whole lot more that she says that she's tired of hearing about from white men in hollywood and she's absolutely 100 correct and she talks about the stereotypes she talks about how he was a really good father that he really was passionate about what he did and his work and that he was really close friends with a lot of people that he's now supposedly being claimed not to have been so
1: well and and i just want to say like okay so what if he was arrogant like yeah. so let just dismiss the social. Oh, he was really arrogant. It's just like, well, you know what? He was one of the best that he mm-hmm. could in his business, right? There is there are many people say that he, there was no one else who was better than him, right? Yeah. Well, so, and also
0: in this case, talk about the pot calling the kettle black. Jeez. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, but so this this guy really was at the top of his business mm-hmm. this was a guy who was at the top of his art he invented his own martial art <laughs> yeah right? so this is you know if anyone has a right to be arrogant about their abilities bruce lee is one of those people so she is absolutely correct in in saying that that calling him arrogant as a pejorative right as saying like oh he was so arrogant he thought so much of himself just like yeah because he was the best like, mm-hmm. that's why he thought so much of himself. That's why Muhammad Ali thought so much of himself because he was actually the best. Yeah. Um, and and, and it's, it's so true when, when we talk about non-white men, particularly, we wind up, you know, you, we begin using these things as pejoratives. You can't possibly be the best. You know, why aren't you more, res- you know, it, it's all of these racist undertones. Why aren't you more respectful to, you know, to who, Chuck Norris? like fuck that
0: (laughs) right yeah yeah exactly Um,
1: and and so yeah it's it's ridiculous and i i think that particularly when we're talking about um and i all right i'm gonna mention his name because i think that otherwise i'm being i'm gonna be too vague when we're talking about the kind of films that tarantino makes Mm -hmm. right all of which and she points this out all of which mine the images that bruce lee created like that's yeah look you can't watch kill bill and be like oh bruce lee has absolutely no influence on this it's (laughs) explicitly has in all over that
0: movie yeah right?
1: and and then to turn around and be like well i don't respect the person right so just oh so you just want the imagery you just want to be able to mine the imagery you want to be able to mine everything that he did for your own benefit but you don't actually want to respect the person who did it yeah. and yeah it's racist it's you know and i've said it before is a misogynist like i in some ways i'm kind of glad that he has been putting his foot in his mouth the way that he has in, in recent years. Because it's mm-hmm. kind of highlighting all of the shit that about that a lot of people, mostly non-white dudes, have been saying about him for years, which is that you know he just uses these things for his own benefit. He doesn't actually respect the uh the films that he's that he's stealing from the films that he's paying homage to quotation marks right the people that he's taking these images from so you know i can transpose all of this imagery from um from bruce lee's films into kill bill but i can't i don't have to respect the human being that made it
0: mm-hmm. yeah well and i also <laughs> I also just love quote unquote whatever um how he started off when the movie came out two years ago it started off as like oh no this is just you know this is just one fictional character's view of bruce lee this isn't based on anything real and after two years of being asked about this and having like the chinese government refused to show the movie if they didn't remove that scene and um You know, and and Shannon Lee talking about this for the last two years. And now he's just like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, I hated the guy for no reason whatsoever. Never even met him, but apparently hated him. Like he was really arrogant. He was all these things. It's it's I'm glad that he's yeah. finally being honest about what he really thinks, but it's it's kind of funny that it's happening now. It's like
1: well, and it so obviously undercuts all of the arguments that went on when the film came out initially yep. because all of again, all of these white white nerds, right? White male mm-hmm. nerds were coming out and being, no, 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 you just don't understand what he's doing. And it's just like, no, I think I understand it. I think it's racist. I understand. I can see what's happening. And here's why it's, you know, and and there were articles published by, um, by Asian American writers, by Chinese American writers talking about this, being like, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Shannon Lee talked about it being a problem. Um, and now, you know, fast forward a little, <laughs> little bit, or like, Oh, look, it's actually a problem. My God. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So anyway, um, it's a great article. We will link it in the show notes. I did want to close off with the last kind of a parting thought from Shannon, who says, Mr. Tarantino, you don't have to like Bruce Lee. I really don't care if you like him or not. You made your movie and now you're clearly you're promoting a book. But in the interest of respecting other cultures and experiences you may not understand, I would encourage you to take a pass on commenting further about Bruce Lee and reconsider the impact of your words in a world that doesn't need more conflict and fewer cultural heroes under the sky and under the heavens we are one family Mr. Tarantino and I think it's time for both of us to walk on there you go
1: yeah all right (laughs)
0: let's never speak of that movie again (laughs) all right so um today is july Uh, it's gonna just like the whole month is today um anyway we just thought (laughs) it would be fun (laughs) to talk about uh blockbusters because it's summer and it's like you know big movie time last last weekend we had a big blockbuster movie that hit theaters and broke all kinds of records were pandemic records it didn't actually break any real long long-standing records but it's nice to feel like movies are coming back uh even if they are in the form of you know <laughs> the fast and the furious <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh my gosh hey hey, hey. <laughs> i still haven't seen it because i'm not going to movie theaters right now but um but fast and furious is great man like come Ooh. on you uh, will enjoy it when you get to see it i mean i absolutely i absolutely accept the like all of the criticism just like it's stupid yes it is it's absolutely stupid doesn't make sense absolutely makes no sense timelines are all fucked up completely like there is almost nothing that you could say about these films that i would just like it negatively yeah. that i'd just be like yeah absolutely 100 <laughs> you are absolutely right fucking love them
0: fucking yeah. great <laughs> well and it's funny because like one of my other podcasts the watch and talk we did the f9 uh for our last episode and in that episode we both were just like nobody who wants to see this movie gives a shit what we think about it because it doesn't matter like it's dumb they know it's dumb nobody cares but you know what we went
1: and watched it we're gonna talk about it anyway (laughs) these these are absolutely review-proof films they're critic-proof films uh and and part of that is because that unlike stuff you know like zack snyder stuff or whatever most of the fans of fast and furious films are like it is so stupid like you don't even know how dumb this shit is but i fucking love (laughs) hans back man how did he how did he survive i need to know oh that doesn't make any sense of course it doesn't (laughs) it's because
0: when people die off camera they didn't die okay hello I mean, we classic knew he dude die. bro film bro move, move right there but anyway we knew,
1: we knew he didn't <laughs> die man like we do just like justice I don't watch
0: these movies and i knew he didn't die <laughs> when i saw,
1: <laughs> saw that one
0: f7 or whatever <laughs> anyway. um i was yeah. like if it didn't show it it didn't kill him off they'll bring him back so but anyway um but yeah so yeah i'm glad that people love them i really truly am really am like i don't care you know i like lots of dumb shit it's fine we all have our thing and it's what makes the world go round and i love it um anyway but we're not talking about f9 because you haven't seen it yet so that wouldn't be fair to you instead we were just going to talk about blockbusters in general which um did not start with the 1976 film jaws it didn't no no it did not in fact do you know when that term first came into usage
1: uh i feel i i think that i did look this up i think it was like the 1940s wasn't
0: it <laughs> it was the 1940s yes yeah variety magazine was i think the ones that first coined the term and uh yeah it actually it's it got it like it came about the etymology of that word um had to do with like war movies and and around world war ii and it was literally they were (laughs) busting blocks because they were dropping bombs in cities and that was kind of where the term came from but um anyway yeah so it's been around for decades and even before there was a term for it basically we understand a blockbuster to be like a high grossing movie that people rush out to see and so even before the 40s we had movies like that you know we had gone with the wind which yeah for better or worse with when you edit for or adjust for inflation is the actual highest grossing film of all time it's not avengers ending um and it won't be avatar 2 either it's it's gone with the wind and so and but even before that like going back to the silent era there were films that people were rushing out to see that would that would be considered blockbusters by our understanding of that term today Mm -hmm. anyway why don't you uh share a little bit of your thoughts on on the idea of the blockbuster
1: well it it seems like such a pr term really and i mean one of the one of the things that's quoted is uh is a 1951 variety article described qua vitus as a box office blockbuster right so that was kind of one of the early usages of it but if you really i mean if you really look at film history and stuff like that there's what's referred to as the prestige picture and um generally within the studio system what you had was a whole bunch of smaller films right so films that were basically there to fill to fill up the the schedule to fill up the marquees etc and then you had bigger films that they spent a lot more money on that were prestige pictures so you had huge stars big budget very often these were also spectacle films and when you say spectacle films you're talking about like the films of Cecil B. DeMille and D.W. Griffith and um and then later you know people like Michael Curtis and George Stevens and those kinds of filmmakers were making these big you know massive casts, big spectacles, you know, so often when we talk about spectacles they are very often set in Roman times or biblical times, um, you know, cowboy films, all these things, but these are these really big, far-reaching films that were intended to be shown on massive screens and to do a lot of business because the studios were spending a great deal of money on them, they were heavily promoting them, they were using their biggest stars, et cetera. So in that sense, you know, blockbuster which didn't really become a phrase until the 1940s and was, didn't really get into to major use until the 50s. And then when you get into the 70s, it, it all kind of, kind of changes. Um, but even before that, there were films that were being made for this purpose, which was to be the highest grossing films, to kind of be the major hits of the season. And sometimes they were, and sometimes they weren't. One of the most famous ones is uh, Cleopatra from which i think is like 1961 which is often credited with destroying the studio system because it was this massive film they spent a great deal of money on it and it was a flop um it did not make the money that it needed to in order to justify its existence so you get those so now you know we talk about films like um disney had a series of of them like uh john carter and the lone ranger and films like that where they're sort of structured to be these major box office draws and they they don't do the business that they need to in order to justify it so
0: let's talk about some blockbuster films that we enjoy
1: (laughs) well jaws
0: yes jaws is a great movie
1: jaws jaws is a great like a I think that one of the great things about Jaws is that it's this middle of the road. You know, it's not that complicated. It's very straightforward. Like, it's mm-hmm. a shark attacks people, and we got to stop the shark. That's the story of Jaws. But it's so well-made. It's so tense. You know, it's it's just so well done. You know, it's Spielberg doing really what Spielberg does best. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was massively successful. People wanted to go see it.
0: What uh how old were you when you first saw jaws do you remember
1: uh i was a bit older because i was one of those kids who so what jaws came out in 76 79 somewhere around i just
0: saw something that said 75 i always thought it was 76 but apparently it was 75
1: um so i was not born uh i I, I was 10 years away from i wasn't born either yet (laughs) i was 10 years away from existing and more than 10 years away from existing and my i don't think my parents have even met at that point um so I, I think that i first saw it probably on video my parents probably rented it at some point i don't remember actually sitting down to watch jaws for the first time it may have been on television it may have been that could show it on amc all the time back when i was younger
0: i'm sorry i'm sorry wait you're saying that you did not experience steven spielberg's first big hit movie on the big screen uh well no what because because I, was,
1: I wasn't alive i know it doesn't <laughs> count i've never actually <laughs> seen jaws because i've never seen it on the big screen uh, <laughs> sorry Stephen. <laughs> one of the like thousand revivals that you guys do i'll have to get out to even though yeah i like jaws it's not my favorite film so i'm not going to spend a great deal of money to go out and see jaws when i can like fucking rent it on amazon um yeah (laughs) or
0: just wait for it to come back on amc or whatever because they play it every it's i'm sure it's on this weekend somewhere in fact let's look (laughs)
1: it's i mean it's like i say it's a great film it's really well made it's really Mm -hmm. effective you know he does a great job with the the like not showing the horror the terror whatever it's i've said it before it's a slasher film with a shark yeah um and, and it's fantastic for that it, it does it does exactly what it's supposed to and i think that that's why it was so popular and why it's still so popular it's a very well-made film it is very easy to watch and and to consume but it isn't like it's not fluff it isn't just like cotton candy kind of cinema it's it actually does have quality and depth and has great performances and great cinematography etc
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and that's all stuff that that um used to be expected even in big expensive studio movies uh to some extent i mean there's always been some you know for for a long time there's been your fast and the furious type of movies where it's just accepted that they're just like silly just fluffy fun entertainment um but these types of films and and steven spielberg has made a lot of them i mean jurassic park is this way too where it's like there are um, and E.T. as well. Like there is your central plot that's really not that complicated, but then there are a lot of there are social issues. There are um, some really human moments for some of the characters. Like in Jaws, that scene. I mean, everyone talks about it because it's so good. But that scene when they're on the boat going out to look for the shark, and Robert Shaw tells the story about being on the Indianapolis, and uh, it's such a powerful scene and it's so so well done and that's that's the kind of thing that's just that's part of why that movie works so well and it's kind of funny like the whole thing of not seeing the shark that much because that wasn't the original intention but they had so many problems with the with the uh, mechanics of the shark that they had to reduce how much they showed it (laughs) and it actually works so much better so sometimes there are happy accidents (laughs) in the production of a film that make it just work
1: well, yeah, ex- exactly. I think that if they'd shown the shark more, it wouldn't have been as effective because Mm-mm. because the terror of it, and and that's again, and I think that Spielberg in that film and in a lot of his films really does understand how cinema produces that that sort of that terror, right, that tension, because. Yeah what you know about the shark you hear that you hear the music you see like the the fin carving through the water or whatever and you know what's coming and the film conditions you really really well to um to knowing what is about to happen and Mm -hmm. it creates this wonderful tension you don't need to see the shark being terrifying you just need to see the aftermath you just need to see the people being dragged under the water or hear the music right and you know that that it's frightening and that something scary is going to happen it's a lot more effective than an animatronic shark eating people
0: yeah that that perfect john williams score really also just makes it so well and you mentioned the music i just had to say it's amazing how powerful just two notes can be (laughs) (laughs) and when you hear those two notes to this day you know exactly what it's from it's 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 great um let's see
1: well and I, I well while you're searching i think that another thing that makes jaws really effective and and this this is impressive actually it seems to be satire proof and by that i mean that there are a lot of television shows pop culture etc that reference jaws in some way mm-hmm and that use, you know, the music that, you know, you see it on the Simpsons, see it on Bob's Burgers has an entire episode that's a riff on Jaws. Um, It's very funny by the way, Uh, et cetera. And, And yet Jaws is still really effective. It doesn't damage the film in any sense. It's not such an overexposed film that when you go back and watch it again, you're like, oh yeah, I've seen this, you know on the Simpsons or whatever. Um, it's still really, really effective at what it does. And that is, I, I think, a very universal quality in, in a film. And a lot, of, a lot of blockbusters that we talk about are like that, where you can make fun of them, you can parody them, you can riff on them, you can make references to them. And still, when you go back to the, the original films, they still land, they still work. There's still this universal ability to to you know make you feel tense to make you laugh to make you like feel invested in the characters
0: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i think another good example of that is um back to the future
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yes same same deal exactly uh jurassic park i think has that as well
0: Mm -hmm. um
1: that's that's the thing actually when you think about a lot of the the films that we reference as blockbusters they they do like they remain very iconic, even though we're so used to their iconography now. And one of the sillier ones is uh, Independence Day.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? which i love
1: it is a silly film in a lot of ways it really is yeah um but it, it still works you know you still get those hits It still it still hits all of the beats that it needs to um mm-hmm. and some of that is because of the performances because you've got like will smith and jeff goldblum and bill pullman and and they like you know bill pullman's speech is still so rousing even though you're like this is deeply silly like this whole concept is silly you're just like yeah man it's our independence day that's right go america
0: yay we're gonna get those alien (laughs)
1: bastards like yeah you you get that like um you get that arc and i think that the the film does make you invested in these characters Mm -hmm. and because you're invested in them you're willing to go along with some of that hokiness that is is present, but kind of like, like, yeah, that's right. go America.
0: <laughs> yep, it's true. I actually, it's so funny because I remember um, Independence Day came out in 1996. I want to say it was like July second, and uh, I know it was a Wednesday,
1: which I did see in theaters. By the way, I was just did you? That. Yeah, yeah, I actually did get get to see it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's I was alive. Cool. So I remember seeing the trailers for it for months leading up to that movie. And I was just like, it was they really didn't tell you much of what was going to happen, what you were going to see. It was just like you could tell it was an alien movie. In fact, I don't even remember the earliest trailers even like showing any real scenes from it, um, other than like seeing the the shadow of something moving across the the um the land and like seeing people look up, but you know, it was very spare. Uh, trailer but um anyway so we had bought tickets so my brother and my best friend and i we were all taking a summer school class we were in college and it was a night class where we it was public speaking and uh the class was supposed to go from seven to ten monday went monday tuesday and wednesday and the movie came out on wednesday we had tickets for the 10 30 showing that night and but if we this was the days before you reserved seats so if we were in class until 10 and we had a rush from the school over to the movie theater which was like a couple towns over um then we were gonna get terrible seats we probably wouldn't be able to sit together or we'd just be in the front row or whatever so we like from the time we got to class we lobbied our teacher (laughs) like come on it's the fourth of july this weekend you don't want to be here late none of us do like we convinced him to let us out of class early that night so we could rush over to the theater and get good seats and we did it was awesome <laughs> well,
1: and, and i i mean i think actually we should talk about that 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 the um the nature of blockbuster is this communal cinematic experience a lot of yeah. the time, it's these films that everybody has seen you know you mm-hmm. assume that people have seen jaws and independence day and jurassic park right and it's actually surprising if you when you know people who are like oh i've never seen star wars it's just like what do you mean you've never seen star wars like you don't <laughs> wait you don't like that's to, an option <laughs> you don't have to like star wars but you've definitely seen star wars you know so yeah. it it is this like communal experience that you kind of assume everybody knows and has been involved with. And you know, you get there early to the theater to, to see it for the first time. And that's why I think in a lot of ways that more recently there's been this like artificially manufacturing blockbusters. So mm. we're going to create, you know, Avengers Endgame is going to be a blockbuster. Um, and sometimes it works like with Avengers Endgame and that's part of that is because there's been all this buildup to it. But other films like, you know, The Lone Ranger you can't create that you can't be like okay now we are going to have this major success yeah because it has to be something that appeals widely to a lot of people and people are really fickle like you know you would think that this really popular um concept this really popular television show with these these good actors is going to be successful but that's not necessarily true right
0: yeah exactly well and that's the thing it's like i mean the marvel movies they're all going to make hundreds of millions of dollars even the ones that people don't like as much they're still going to make huge money because of the fact that they have a built-in fan base now at this point in time the fast and the furious movies are always going to make a ton of money because now they have a built-in fan base that will go see every movie and so that's great and and um and and i think that there's value in that but i also think like it's such a risk to just to your point it's such a risk to take something that nobody has seen that is not tried and tested yet and then make this big movie and just kind of see what happens and then sometimes it really works well and that's how the first pirates of the caribbean movie happened you know like i remember when that came out and it was it looked so the only reason that people i think went to see it really was johnny depp at the time and because the commercials like he looked so funny it looked like it was going to be really good but it was still it was a movie based on a a ride at a theme park and it looked ridiculous and Um, but people went and saw it and then it turned out it was actually a lot of fun it was a good movie and so then they went back and back and back and saw it over and over again and that i think is really where the blockbuster happens we are so used to now looking at um the opening weekend numbers but a lot of these films that have become really successful it took time it took like word of mouth it took building up you know some of them are really you know they do big business right out the gate sure but other ones it just it needs to develop that that following first before before it really hits you know i think of i wouldn't consider this one a blockbuster but i think of the movie um um my big fat greek wedding which ended up i mean it was produced for five million dollars end up making like almost 200 million dollars by the time its run was completed because it just had so much staying power
1: you know mm-hmm. well and I, I wonder how things are going to change you know so now we're not we're not post-pandemic but where people are going back to theaters theaters are open mm-hmm. there's more kind of activity going on but the cinematic landscape has changed a lot people have spent a year more than a year you know mostly experiencing films with some caveats but most experiencing films in their own home most experiencing them through streaming various companies like um hbo and warner brothers and disney et cetera, have been trying different ways of releasing what would be big theater films right on streaming platforms et cetera. and so i do wonder how our understanding of box office and and ultimately our understanding of what a blockbuster is is going to change you know are we post blockbuster in other words is this never really going to come back in the same way because the way that people have watched um has has fundamentally shifted and i I i don't know because i i think that it's early yeah it's obviously we're still in the middle of a pandemic
0: yeah i honestly i think it will change I think it was already starting to before the pandemic happened. And here's here's one of the reasons that I say that Um, one of the big shifts that I saw actually came when they when the theater started trying to justify higher prices by changing things like their seating so suddenly they have fewer seats in a theater because they had bigger seats they have recliners at least in a lot of the ones that i go to it's like these big recliners so you can fit fewer people into the auditorium in the first place you have assigned seats so you've already chosen there's still places where this doesn't happen but in you know in the la and new york markets right now that's how it is and um and so you don't have to you don't have to Get there early, get in line, wait for a chance to get in, hope you get a decent seat, which used to, that was such a huge part of the movie going experience for me. I remember when the first Harry Potter movie came out and the, I was in college and the school I was at, they had, um, they had like a special screening that night and it was $2, but it was only like the first 150 people that got there. And so we got down there, we got there early. We were like number 50 in line. Of course that changed by the time everybody's friends came but the line was wrapped around the mall it was huge and um and it was a big deal it was really exciting for people and that was that was all part of what made that experience like you said you know that communal experience of sitting in this big theater crowded opening night watching a big movie together and now it was happening for a couple years before the pandemic and the pandemic i think just really just uh hastened this but um but i think like not having that experience of waiting in line with strangers and talking about a movie that you're about to see or you know sitting you know in your assigned seats in a theater that's half as full as it used to be uh because there's just not the capacity or even less than half in some cases i think that that's all affected yeah um what is possible with blockbusters now and it's changed that communal experience
1: yeah i mean that's that's a really good point theaters have moved more towards making you feel like you're in your living room actually yeah like yeah. And, and they become more isolating as well so the bigger seats also mean not only that there are fewer that there are fewer numbers of people in the theater but you're not having that kind of relationship with the person next to you anymore mm-hmm. um so like so for instance i remember going to see widows uh, which i i saw at the amc empire which is a big ass movie theater in Times <laughs> Square, right? But it's one of those that at least at that time, and I think that it, it has actually changed because it was act- it was also a theater that was infested with bed bugs regularly. Oh, um, but so the, the screening was in one of the really big auditoriums. It was the regular kind of just, you know, theater kind of airline style seats, right? Um, and so I was sitting next to these two older women who had basically brought their entire dinner with them. Um, and, and during, and like, I got to talking with them before the film, because they were like, oh, we're really excited to see this film, even though no one seems to want to care about it. And like, we were talking about that. And then during the film there were a lot of people around me who were like communicating with the screen. Right. So it's just, so when the dog, when he picks up the dog, just like, don't you hurt that dog? Like the woman next to me was just like, when, when, you know, spoiler alert, when it turns out that Liam Neeson is alive, she's just like, Oh, that son of a bitch. <laughs> was like, Oh my God. But it was this much more communal experience. I was relating to people around me. If a lot of the time, you know, before the pandemic you're you're essentially sitting in these massive recliners that you're not really that close to the people that are are sitting next to you even if someone is directly beside you yeah Uh, and a lot of the time of course now no one is directly beside you but even when i used to go i would deliberately you know choose a seat where no one else had booked because Mm -hmm. i was like oh i want space and everything but it is much more of this sense of i'm sitting at home only i'm watching this on a really big screen versus i'm sitting in a theater with a whole bunch of other people and we're having a communal experience
0: yeah yeah exactly well let's talk a little bit about um one person who still sometimes (laughs) makes blockbusters he does and who happens to be having a birthday today tom (laughs) cruise (laughs) oh man this is the thing like his movies are still so great because he cares and he puts a lot of thought into them and a lot of attention into the audience experience which is something that people like steven spielberg don't do as much as they used to and it shows Um, but anyway uh, (laughs) we did get a couple of questions (laughs) surprise surprise um about tom cruise so uh first of all um, thank you, Keith, Derek, for not having a question, just replying with a gift from Tropic Thunder that always cracks me up. Um yeah. So Noah at Noah underscore Saturn says, What is your favorite and least favorite Tom Cruise performance?
1: Do you have one? <laughs> Do I have one? Um I, I will put this up there by saying that I, I am not a huge Tom Cruise fan. I enjoy his films, however um I, I do love him in tropic thunder like i think that that was one where because and at that point he had kind of been going through some not great pr stuff yeah. um and i i remember going to see that movie and i knew about that i knew that he was in it i knew about that performance but actually the friends that i was with didn't and they had no idea like afterwards, so was like oh man tom cruise was hilarious and we're like what who's tom cruise like tom cruise was in it and i was like no he he was he was less he was Us grossman the, yeah he's he's the the producer the real the it's like are you kidding me? like it's like that's why why do you think i was laughing so hard like, yeah, i i do love that because it's such an odd and off role for him but he's obviously having such a great time doing it like very there are times where I feel like I'm not convinced that he's having fun. That is one where I'm just like, he's having the time of his life. Obviously this is like the best thing he has ever done. <laughs> so I love him in that. Um, yeah.
0: I, I No, I just want to jump in and say, I agree with you. Like it's such a fun, weird performance. And it's one of those things. It's part of why I just think he's such a, like we're not talking about who he is off screen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the movie star and the movies that he makes like that's one of the things I like is that he doesn't tend to take himself too seriously because he he is willing to do these kinds of things where it's just so unexpected like he has a cameo in Austin Powers you know and he does these kinds of things from time to time that are just unexpected because I think that people just expect that he's very just like I mean he is very protective of his image but once in a while he'll kind of let that go a little bit and it works so well and then you get Trumpic thunder and he's the best part of that movie
1: hands down and i can never listen to uh was it get back without without thinking <laughs> of him just like yeah every time that song comes i'm like oh my god tom cruise in that movie <laughs> yeah oh, So the I, best line
0: I- in that whole thing is <laughs> now i can't even say it. it's so funny <laughs> take a giant step back and literally fuck your own face <laughs> <laughs> oh anyway
1: yeah least favorite um i can't think i mean honest you know what honestly he's pretty good in pretty much everything i've seen him and i haven't seen all of his films obviously um but i think that he's he's very he's a very effective action star he's a very likable screen presence definitely
0: oh yeah. um So for me, I'm going to start with least favorite because I do have one. And it's funny because it's like, I mean, I can admit that not all of his movies are great. <laughs> in fact, a couple of them are not good at all. But um, to me, his worst performance is not In the Mummy, which other people like to say. And it's not Rock of Ages either. It is. Um, ju- uh, almost said john wick no not john wick jack reacher <laughs> jack reacher 2 um is his worst performance and the reason i say that is because that is the one movie and i have seen every one of his films most of them more than once and that is the one film where i feel like he is not in it he couldn't care less he's there for contract reasons and that's it and it i feel like it shows in that so uh, so there you go and then my favorite performance from him and I love that this was asked his as favorite and least favorite instead of best and worst because I think that's a much better question um, my favorite performance from him probably is Tropic Thunder um, also just because it's so unexpected when I saw that movie I was with friends and I didn't know ahead of time that he was in it and he comes on the screen and he's talking and one of my friends is like who is that and I'm like Oh my gosh, that's Tom Cruise. She's like, no. Like, yes. Like I just I could tell there was something in his voice. And I was so then the whole time I'm just like mesmerized and just staring at this going, like, how does this work? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But but I also will always and forever just love him in Jerry Maguire, which my mom and I just went and saw again on the big screen last week because it was a Fathom Events 20 fifth anniversary screening which does not make sense in my brain how that came out 25 years ago but anyway yeah so but i i really i just i enjoy so many of his movies i mean he's he's had like 45 so far and i would say that 40 42 of them are movies that i would watch again and again <laughs> so
1: i mean that's actually a pretty good track record when you really it look is, at it you yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah there are very few most of the actors that i've loved that i love i'm just like no there's terrible terrible ones (laughs) i do not want to see that a second time
0: yeah well that's the thing is like even his movies that aren't great like cocktail is so silly but it's still like it's fun you know like it's it is dumb but it's fun and rock of ages is a bad movie but he's so crazy in that that it's like i don't know i can just watch that over and over again but endless love is a terrible terrible movie that should not exist it's his first appearance on screen he's on it for 45 seconds so i don't really consider it a tom cruise movie but it's there in his filmography and it's the worst movie made since 1981 um it's so bad (laughs) it's so bad (laughs) that is a (laughs) claim i mean technically tom cruise's character in that is the reason that everything bad happens in that movie because he makes one suggestion that ends up ruining everybody's lives <laughs> kind of funny um anyway yeah so let's see we also had <laughs> so uh we had a question from the talking club podcast which this is- i did not submit this question i
1: was gonna say this is like <laughs> This Is insider trading, is what this is. I did not
0: even know this was gonna happen. So talking club this is my new podcast that I have with my friend, and she said this question because one of our episodes that we did um was what's a question you hate being asked? And I said, I hate being asked, What's your favorite movie? Because it's a dumb question. <laughs> because I don't have one favorite movie, so I was like, ask something more specific. So <laughs> so Emily one of the hosts of the talking club podcast said um what is your favorite tom cruise film released between 1990 and
1: 1995 oh i
0: love that it's so funny Well, what is it um gosh i mean a few good men i guess because i love that movie but i also really love interview with the vampire he's so good in that so yeah i I, I guess i gotta go with you good men
1: not a bad choice
0: yeah so let's see do we have any other questions i think that's all the questions that we had so um yeah anything else you wanted to do you want to talk about your favorite george sanders performance i, I
1: do i do want to mention george sanders really quickly because <laughs> i didn't even realize it was his birthday um and then that came up on on my twitter feed and i was like oh my god george sanders and tom cruise <laughs> the <it's his> same birthday <laughs> that makes no sense whatsoever they have no relation to each other but yeah i do love george sanders and um he he is definitely an actor who has made plenty of bad films uh (laughs) but he's always delightful and um yeah, no, he's he's just fantastic, and and if people have se- just seen him in in something like Rebecca or All About Eve, I do really recommend going to look for some of his less villainous roles because I he he does a great job of kind of playing both sides. Basically, um, he's he's wonderful in Douglas Sirk's uh, Lourdes, which is a fairly early Douglas Sirk melodrama, but it's it's George Sanders and Lucille Ball. Um, mm and it's the basically um it's about uh someone is is going around murdering women and uh one of the friends of a victim decides that she's going to go out and she's going to find who's doing this and in in doing so she winds up running into George Sanders uh who may or may not be a killer <laughs> and and it's really great cuz it walks that line between is he isn't he and of course it's George Sanders so you're kind of like, well, odds are that he's the murderer, but I hope he isn't. But he also might be. So it's it's this. It's actually a really wonderful film and really well done, and everything. It has some some very weird uh, asides. Like Boris Karloff is in one scene suddenly and has nothing to do with the rest of the plot, but he's just kind of there. <laughs> <laughs> um so that's really fun and then also foreign correspondent uh where sanders is kind of the second the secondary hero in in that film and i think he steals the film completely from joel mccrae because he's again it's that kind of iconic laconic um drawing, sarcastic attitude but it's actually concealing a really good person <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i love that I, I love it when sanders plays against type a little bit uh yeah. and and really a lot of his his earlier film roles that was exactly the type that he was he was in the saint um he, a series of films that are, are this, the saint films and they're they're very well done he was in the falcon which is kind of a b-level detective stories basically one of them is actually an adaptation of a raymond chandler novel but so he's this. he is a hero for a lot of his career. And it really wasn't until kind of later on that he began being typed as this villain, including in Rebecca. Rebecca is yeah. still one of his best performances.
0: It is. I really like him in All About Eve. I, I think, I just, I don't know. I love that movie so much. I need to watch it again. They sent me a Blu-ray. I should watch that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And it's also... birthday of patrick wilson and so i just want to give a shout out to his version of ed warren who is much better than the real version of ed warren
1: (laughs) so it's probably true
0: (laughs) also just patrick wilson is a delightful human being like yeah
1: (laughs) he won me over in the second conjuring when he's when he sings what is he saying? Um, "Fools rush in."
0: Yeah, so yeah, like,
1: yeah. And I was just like, "Oh no, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh dear." I I didn't know that I had these feelings, but apparently I do. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him
0: on Broadway years ago. He was not in a musical, unfortunately. It was a play, but um, it was just it was just so fun. Like he just I don't know. He just has this really, um, this really kind spirit about him and uh yeah i've, just, I've always i'm I've just kind of always rooted for him and i've i've just been like why isn't he a bigger star and i think he kind of quietly has become one which is a very Patrick yes, Wilson yeah. thing so yeah anyway so happy birthday to all of them and to anybody else who is celebrating a birthday today that is not a garbage human so there you go any final thoughts before we wrap this up I think that
1: that's it.
0: What are you going to watch this weekend? What blockbusters are going to cross your television path? Uh,
1: probably not. <laughs> I think everything <laughs> that I'm planning to watch are like heavy, darker, so like there, there are a whole bunch of really interesting things that have just been released on the Criterion channel. Um, number of neo-noir. By the way, everybody please go watch body heat, which is yeah, one, like a great neo-noir wait i didn't
0: realize that's on criterion
1: yes it's on criterion channel uh, this, because they have a, a neo-noir collection so and yeah everyone's please go watch body heat kathleen turner is just fantastic and fulfilling her role of kathleen turner fucks up a bunch of dumb men like it's it's great
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so yes yeah, so there's, there's a lot of really good stuff on criterion channel i'm going to check out but um i'm actually having some friends over for july 4th so
0: one, I am definitely gonna watch Dra- um not Jurassic Park Jaws this weekend maybe Jurassic Park too but definitely Jaws for sure that's kind of a fourth of July tradition for me so yeah all right well thanks so much that's gonna close things out out for this week uh we really appreciate you um tuning in you can support the show if you'd like to at patreon.com slash um where we do bonus episodes and i know we keep promising stuff but we are bringing things back and we're gonna have um we're gonna have an event for our subscribers pretty soon um it's just a matter of timing we're getting it worked out um but yeah so you can go there and support the show we also have our zazzle store zazzle.com citizen dame pod um you still should wear masks if you're not fully vaccinated and even in a lot of cases even if you are still because that delta variant is nasty and it's coming um but we also have t-shirts and stuff we're going to be adding a few more things our our new logo is coming very very soon so um we're going to be having a whole bunch of new stuff in there um and then we also have our co-fi, co-fi.com slash citizen where you could just, you know, donate a couple of dollars if you like what you hear and want to help us out. Um, we are available all kinds of ways. If you have questions, comments, praise, whatever, uh, you can email us, citizen at gmail.com and be sure to visit our website. Citizendamepod.com, where Lauren has been good about posting some of her Tribeca reviews. I have not. I am getting stuff up this week for real, for real, real, uh, including um, a review of Black Widow, which I saw last week, speaking of Marvel movies. So that's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you can also find us on the social medias. We're on letterboxed at Citizendame and Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame pod You can also find us individually. Lauren, where are you?
1: I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxed at LH Business.
0: And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxed at Karen M. Peterson. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Bye. This is last hostman. Who is this? This is Flaming flagrant. Oh, Okay, flaming dragon. Fuckface. First, take a big step back and literally
1: fuck your own
0: face!